in life, you have to have a purpose. And my purpose is to create job for artists. Because as you know, it's very, very tough for an artist to have a decent living and go through his or her passions. And that's what I'm offering at Cirque du Soleil. Right now, I have 2,000 artists that are having a good life because we have developed new shows. And this purpose of me is what makes me wake up in the morning. That's what motivates me to continue. And that's why I'm happy. That's why I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Daniel Lamar has spent more than two decades helping run Cirque du Soleil. As CEO, he guided the organization through a period of astounding growth and then brought it back to life during the massive upheaval of the COVID-19 pandemic. He is currently executive vice chairman of the board. When Daniel joined in 2001 as president of New Ventures, Cirque du Soleil had 2,000 employees and seven shows in performance. Five years later, he became chief executive and the company grew to 5,000 employees and 44 shows around the world, including recent subsidiary acquisitions. At its peak, Cirque had annual sales of a billion dollars and 15 million people attending its shows per year, more than all 39 Broadway shows combined. Daniel's strengths include a laser-like focus during times of crisis and an ability to marry the needs of disparate groups and interests, finding positive solutions and outcomes for all, skills he fine-tuned throughout his long career. In this episode, Daniel is a natural storyteller. His best pieces of advice are delivered as a story from his rich personal experience. Drawing from his successes and failures, his weapons of choice are laughter and humility. I started my conversation with Daniel by asking him about the beginning. First of all, you have to understand that I come from a very, very poor family. But we didn't know that because my parents were always happy, lively, and were trying and succeeded in hiding the fact that we were poor. So it took a while for me when I grew up to realize that we were poor, but it has insisted uh, myself to start working young. And that's probably where I've been able at 16 years old to be a journalist. And I earned my studies by being a journalist where I learned a lot at 16 years old. When you were that age, you know, being so young at 16 and, and being a journalist, how were you able to, to do that or to get, let's say, your first job? It wasn't like back in, you know, nowadays kids can start a blog or they can, right, you know, but when we were growing up, it was very different. Yeah. What, what happened is uh, I went to the community uh, newspaper and I literally wrote the, the paper for them because, you know, they had they have no way to do it themselves. And by doing that, I start to get some scoop away from the daily. And then I've been hired by the daily. And that was really my first breakthrough. And what was it about journalism? Was that at that point something you loved or was it a job? 
Oh no, I loved it because it allowed me. And when you're at that young age, you do whatever the other real journalists don't want to do. So I could one day covered a hockey game and the uh, politics uh, event that night or just covering a show. So I was the jack of all trail uh, covering everything, which gave me a really broad idea of our society. Yeah, I, I bet the hockey games were not the thing you needed to cover. I'm sure everyone had the, the journalists had that covered. It was probably the other events knowing you grew up in Canada. You're <laughs> <laughs> right. So I would I would rather cover the second and third sports and the real one will keep the hockey for themselves. You're right. But nevertheless, that was an amazing journey for me because it allowed me to gain experience while I was uh, doing my studies. Yeah. Can you tell us also just about you mentioned your parents and, and not having money, not understanding that. But what about the, the town you grew up in, in yourself? Was there an influence there that stayed with you till this day? Yeah. Grand-Mère is a very, very small city, very close to Trois-Rivières in the middle of province of Quebec. And what I've learned from my days there is that there was a lot of collaboration between people. People were helping each other because everybody knew everybody else. And that was good. And it's something that really marked me for me my entire life, because then I understood the advantage of collaborating with other people and being helped, but also more importantly, help other people. Can you talk about going from being a journalist and wanting to be this writer? And, you know, a lot of people know you, they think of Cirque du Soleil and some of the other things that you were able to really build. And, and I mean, Cirque is worldwide, but how, what was the process and how did it happen going from being a journalist to this live experience space? Yeah. First of all, I had the opportunity to open the office of Burson Marsteller in Montreal, which is an international company, very well known, as you know. And that was the first opening to the idea of working internationally. And after that, I opened my own firm. And then all of a sudden, I've been approached to become the CEO of a TV organization. I worked there for a few years, and then I received the most bizarre phone call from Guy La Liberté, who was in London, and he said, you're going to join the circus. <laughs> <laughs> and that was 21 years ago. How did he think of you and why did he come to you? Yeah, we have a very funny story because in 1986, two years after Cirque started, he came to me and I was at the time the owner of the largest PR firm in Canada and he couldn't pay my bill. So I tear away my his bill and I said, Guy, what you're trying to do is so amazing. Forget it. Move forward. 13 years later, I'm the head of a TV network. First phone call I do, I call Guy La Liberté. And then Cirque was already successful. And I said, Guy, I would love to have your TV rights. And he said, it's going to be very complicated, Danielle, because we have an international firm representing us. And then the following morning, out of the blue, I received a most touching note from him saying to his marketing vice president, this guy helped me 13 years ago. He wants my TV rights. Do what you have to do. And I was so touched by that because obviously I didn't mention anything. He didn't mention anything, but he act on it. 
And that was that was a lot of uh, a great lesson of loyalty from him. Yeah, it just shows you what type of person he is and just what type of faith he had in you. And and so important in business when I've noticed just as an entrepreneur too, for, for a lot of years, people come in and out back and forth. They always remember you and your reputation and, and kind of Maya Angelou, how you made them feel right. And it sounds like in this case, he was going to do anything to have you on his team because of the person you were. That's correct. And uh, the rest is history because I had uh, amazing, successful years with that guy. And we were so complimentary to each other. So that was an amazing adventure for me. Was there any hesitation at that point when he asked you to join on your end or were you all in? Oh, no. It took me three weeks to decide because I loved being the CEO of a TV network in in Canada. And I remember my parents, my wife, they were telling me, why would you do that? You have a stable job. Why will you join a circus? You don't know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But there was something in me. And the clincher is when Guy Liberté told me, Daniel, you always say to people that you want to have an international carrier. Here it is. So if you're serious about being international, we're international. So join me. And that was really the ultimate argument that made me decide to join the circus. What was that like first coming in to Cirque? I know they had been successful, but really a lot during your time was when it just exploded. And what was that like initially coming in and let's say you decided to join and all of a sudden you're there was there any anxiety on your end? Was there worries? Uh, what were you thinking at the time? The first year was very, very tough for me because I thought I knew entertainment, but Cirque du Soleil has no reference. So you have no benchmark. So you cannot read a book. You cannot go to you know some uh, business cases or whatever. And Guy had warned me, he says, Danielle, you will have to follow me for a year or two before you, you build your own network of contact and because before you understand the business model because the business model is very very unique to us so first year was very very tough then the second year i start to enjoying it because i understood then the business model and he gave me more and more freedom the second year and for you at the time and and looking at the business when you came in what was your vision at that point for where you wanted to take Cirque? Yeah, that was interesting because when I joined, he was under the impression, and so was the management team at the time, that live entertainment, we had achieved the ultimate of what we could have achieved. And then we have to start talking about diversification. I totally disagree with that. I thought there was still a huge potential of growth for the organization. And it took me a while to convince the team and to convince Guy. But the way we did that is not by arguing. It's by bringing new shows, by bringing new projects, because there is no point to argue with people. And that's one of my philosophy. You have to show, you have to show people what you're talking about. So when I start to get people busy on developing new shows, then they forgot about diversification and they focus on what they're best at doing, which is creating, producing, and distributing shows. Was there a moment 
after staying true to your belief there that that was what you had to do where you said to yourself, not so much, I was right, but yes, this is the right path. Yeah, obviously I didn't want to be right, but I could see the market. You know, there was so many low-hanging fruits for us that it was easy in a short period of time to demonstrate by signing quite a bit of deals in a short period of time and keeping people busy about what they love to do. And uh, the reality is the management people that thought that we should do diversification didn't really get the approval from the employees because the employees were there to do live shows. So every time I brought a new show for our employees, that was a reward because that's what they're good at doing. Every time we tried to step away from live show was always a disaster because that's not our capabilities. Yeah. And it sounds like you had the foresight to realize, which many people don't a lot of times, that you can diversify and do all these different things. But the majority of your people who are there are there for what you're doing currently. And that's what they love. And it sounds like the fact that you knew this is what they would love would make expanding that area successful while diversifying could fall by the wayside. Totally. And and that was easy for me to sense that because the employees in the corridor or even show up in my office will be very vocal about that, saying, Danielle, I'm here because I want to work for a live entertainment company. Please keep the focus there. And uh, that was almost, they were very emotional about that. And I could feel that that was the right thing to do for them, but that was the right thing to do for the company because you know what you know. And if you keep building on your core capabilities, that's when you're going to be successful. Yeah. Cirque was founded back, I think in 1984, but has stayed relevant, which is incredible still to this day and going through a lot of difficult times. What was it or what were you able to do at Cirque that just you were able to stay with the times and and consistently create a product and experience really that people wanted? Yeah, people will be surprised to see how much analytical we are. So we all the time consult our fans and our patrons. And for each show, every night, we will test what people took away from our shows. And if for whatever reason, one act is the least act that people likes, we will just take it away from the show and replace it by by a better act. So we are all the time tweaking our content to satisfy our fans. And that's the most important measure for us. And we will measure there the night promoter scores, meaning will you will you recommend this show to your friends and family? And also, we always bring new creators and we will refresh existing show and we will make sure that in our new show, there are a lot of innovation. If you have seen 10 of our shows and you see our new shows, I want to surprise you. And surprising fan is very, very important by bringing new content, new human performance, and also new technology. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. 
No one succeeds alone. Even the best entrepreneurs know when it's time to bring in an outside expert. With Upwork, you can find top developers, designers, project managers, and more who can start today so your business can succeed tomorrow. You can check work samples, client reviews, and more to make sure you're hiring the right pro for your business. And there's no cost until you hire. Plus, you'll only pay for work you approve. Whether you're looking to hire a single pro for a project or an entire team to scale your business, Upwork can help you reach your goals. And however you hire, Upwork is available to help you keep things running smoothly with 24-7 support, letting you stay focused on what matters, your business. Find the right talent for whatever your business needs at Upwork, the world's work marketplace. Learn more at www.upwork.com. And our next sponsor. This episode of How Success Happens is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you're not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash small business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. Looking back over the past 20 years and this incredible run you've had, is there anything you might have done differently or made, made changes that maybe kick yourself for a little bit? Yeah, and that's why in my book, I also represent some failures because I didn't want to become pleasant. I wanted to for people to realize that we're not invincible. We've done major failures, but we learn from our failures. The most important one was when Guy and I decided that we have reinvented circus, so we're going now to reinvent vaudeville. And we did a vaudeville show. And uh, after two months, uh, the people that had never seen a, a Cirque du Soleil show loved it. But our fan hated it. No choice after two months to pull off the plug on that show, losing millions of dollars. But that was the right thing to do because the brand didn't stand for vaudeville. The brand stands for human performance, for acrobatic. And that's what we have to deliver at every single show we do. Yeah, it's interesting. And in terms of, you said, people see you and see, they read about you, they hear you, you're on this podcast, How Success Happened. You brought up such a great point that, and I want to talk about the book because you say you mentioned this a bunch, that there are so many failures, so many hard times. What has it been about you that you're able to pick yourself up off the mat and continue to go even when things are bleak? Yeah, in life. You have to have a purpose. And my purpose is to create job for artists. Because as you know, it's very, very tough for an artist to have a decent living and go through his or her passions. And that's what I'm offering at Cirque du Soleil. Right now, I have 2,000 artists that are having a good life. 
because we have developed new shows. And this purpose of me is what makes me wake up in the morning. That's what motivates me to continue. And that's why I'm happy. That's why I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. This is great. And especially when you have a mission, I love the fact it's about giving artists jobs. And and really that's been a driver and, and probably a big reason for your success. And in your new book, Balancing Acts, you described yourself, I guess, as a conventional businessman before joining Cirque du Soleil. What does that mean and how how did that experience change you? Yeah, I was definitely a traditional business guy when I joined the company. But then I had the chance to observe amazing creators. Our founder, Guy La Liberté, Robert Lepage, uh, later on the, working with the Beatles, uh, working with James Cameron. And observing those amazing creators opened my mind to how creativity can change your personal and your professional life. And that's why I have evolved a lot by offering the creators and the artists the best condition of creativity. And now when I look back, I'm saying to myself, it's not only good for Cirque du Soleil, it's good for any people in any sector of activities. And that's what pushed me to put my learnings together, hoping that it will be useful to someone. Yeah, it's incredible because for me, I think you are in the most creative or you would think when people look at it from the outside, it's a creative business, but every business has to have creativity to grow, to continue to build. And are there any lessons or leadership lessons or, or things you can tell us that are in the book that really can help other types of businesses, not just ones that might be in a business you know, termed creative? Yeah, I'm very radical about that. I made a statement that without creativity, there is no business. And the ultimate example of that is Kodak, because they try to deny that the digital world will come and we know the results. The other, at the other end, you have Apple with Steve Jobs, who was an amazing uh, creator. So to succeed as an organization and be creative, you have to create an environment that spells creativity. You have to send a clear signal to your employees that you are open to new ideas and to innovation. You have to invest in research and development to try to find what is going to be the next breakthrough in your industry. You have to be in the lookout all the time for new ideas. So in brief, you have to create a special climate in your organization that invite people to be creative and creativity is the first step to bring innovation in your organization. Yeah, I love that. I want to talk about, we talk, as I said on this show, a lot of entrepreneurs who are extremely successful, but have been thrown to the mat. I can't imagine how difficult COVID for your business was and what a curve. I mean, I just, for a live experience business, what was that like and how did you manage to stay afloat and keep going and now coming back? That That's amazing. Yeah, I will never forget March 13, which was a Black Friday where all our uh, touring show were shut down. And then I, wait, I went home that night and I said to my wife, until Vegas is open, we're good because Vegas account for a huge portion of our profitability. 
guess what? On March 14, Vegas is shut down. And then in a matter of hours, I have, and I'm normally very close to our employees, but because of COVID, I couldn't meet with them. So I had to do a Zoom with 5,000 people telling them that there is no job for them anymore. And that was, that was a huge disaster, the most horrible day in my life. But then the day after, I said to myself, I have to find a way to relaunch our activities. And because of the strength of the brand, we have been able to find investors that were willing and supportive in putting $375 million to put that aside to be ready to relaunch the company when the market will be back. Yeah, well, that just tells you about the strength of your leadership and the brand itself that that early on when no one knew how long this was going to last and still to this day, you know, a couple of years later, there's issues, but that's an amazing testament. But going back to that day and for you personally, what's going through your, your mind? What was the worst part of, and I hate to bring you back, but, but what was the worst part of that feeling? A lot of uh, Monday morning quarterbacks in the media and in the business community saying that we will never survive. And uh, that was the dark side of that story. The bright side of that story is receiving a ton of emails from our former employees saying, don't give up, don't give up. And uh, the one thing we did properly, even if they were no longer our employees officially, we stayed in touch with them because we wanted to inform them that there was a future for that organization and that they would be part of the future. So much so that today, 85% of our employees were former employees of Cirque. So even if they had other jobs during the crisis, during the 15 months of the crisis, they were just waiting for us to call them back. And that was really rewarding for us. And how is the business today coming out of COVID and where you're looking towards, how has it rebounded? Yeah, it's it's very positive. Uh, Vegas is back. We have our seven shows there up and running. We have three touring shows already. We have one in London, one in Puerto Rico, and one is Seattle. We just launched a new show in December at uh, Disney in Orlando. And now the plan is to reopen about one show a month, which says that in a year from now, assuming that uh, the market is back, we will be almost at the same place we were before the crisis. That's going to make you feel good and feel good about all those people that you employ going back to your reason for wanting to be in this business to help creators. Oh, totally. After a nightmare, now I'm living and going through months of joy because every time I call back an artist, you cannot imagine the feeling I had. Uh, That was so emotional when we reopened our first show, Oh, in Las Vegas. You should have seen the people behind the the curtain after the show. That was a joyful moment for all of us. Was there ever a time during this whole difficult time that you thought about giving up or maybe moving on? Yeah, I remember one day I was reading a very bad paper describing why we will never survive. And I went home, I went at the office and I was a bit depressed. And then I've met two of our employees from the costume shop that were just getting their personal stuff. And when they saw me, this is Danielle, you're not giving up, are you? You know, we're there, we're counting on you. 
And I get pumped up by those two employees. And I said, there's no way I'm going to, you know, give those great people that are working for us. Yeah. You know, it's really inspirational. A lot of our listeners who want to be entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. It's so great to hear. I mean, you went through a battle and many battles prior, but sometimes, as I said, people just think it's easy street. You're a success. You created, built with these this Cirque du Soleil, but it's so great hearing these stories and the fact that even someone like yourself has to pick yourself up after difficult times. And would you say that, you know, like you said, these two employees helped you at different times? Do you have to use different tactics? Yeah, I think it's very important that you have a good pulse of what's happening in your industry and what's happening on the show site and what's happening in the uh, creative studio and at office in Montreal. So that's why I like to talk a lot to our employees. And I should rephrase that. And that's why I like to listen a lot to our employees because they know. They see things that maybe you don't see if you remain in your office. And that's very, very important for me. And I love to walk in the building, meet with people. When I go to the show, I will go backstage. I will talk with the technician, with the artists. And for me, it's key. If you have this kind of relationship, that's when, if you have difficult time, they will be there for you because they know you have been there for them all along. Yeah, they know you care. Before I let you go, I know in your book, you had described yourself as a a cool fighter when times do get tough. And what does that mean? and, And how has that approach helped you to succeed? Yeah, I'm not seen like a charismatic or egomaniac CEO. I have always been seen like someone quiet, but someone very, very resilient, resilient that people can trust. And for me, I don't show my fighting side because it's useless, but I like to show that I never give up. And that's important that they can trust that I will try everything to to succeed. And that's why I say I'm a fighter, but I'm a quiet fighter. I like that. I love that. And Okay, last thing, though, before I do let you go. I mean, we've lived through COVID still. We're in really difficult times worldwide. And I'm a big believer in the experience economy and, and live events will be coming back. I mean, I just can't imagine I'm dying, you know, to get back out there. But why are shows like Cirque du Soleil so important? What do they teach us about ourselves in times like this? Yeah, I think if you sit down and you watch any of our show, you will be inspired by the level of human performance. Yes, there is a lot of new technologies. Yes, there is a virtual world. But when I've seen our fans coming back at the show, They're more vibrant than ever. They're more excited than ever because they feel the need to see human performance. And that's what we are. That's what we have to offer. And that's why I'm an optimist that we will continue live entertainment to be a very important industry. Well, I have no doubt and congratulate you on all your success and especially You know, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and a lot of them take punches in the stomach. 
what you guys did and came through for all those people that ever wrote articles or whatever. I'd have them all framed on my wall, you know, but, uh, but great job and, and really appreciate you coming on How Success Happens. Thank you very much. Thank you for the interest and your time. Thanks, Daniel. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T T-U-C-H-M-A-N or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.